Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. The state of our world continues to be described, in my opinion, by a common word the last year especially, and maybe you could say over the past five years. I found myself using the word over and over again. It's the word unprecedented. <laughs> From the election of uh, a reality television show as our, as our American president, that was unprecedented, uh, to uh, especially the last year uh, with COVID-19, we have seen things that we've never seen before in our entire lives. Can you say amen? From lockdowns, restrictions to uh, the stores being out of toilet paper. Uh, all of these things, at least in our lifetimes, were unprecedented. And um, I have, uh, just along with many of you, have, have been amazed to see all of the, the changes and the things that have happened in the last year. We're, we never thought that we would be doing online-only services, right? And yet there we were for a few weeks, for a few months, uh, unable to have more than 10 people in our church building at a time. COVID-19 has affected the church, has affected individuals, has affected businesses and the economy. It's affected global uh, nations, how, how nations are interacting with each other. And the first and foremost way that COVID has affected us are obviously the people who have died as a result of being infected by covid 19. Some of you have the unfortunate uh, personal knowledge of knowing someone who has passed away from COVID-19. My father-in-law is one of those. Uh, he did not uh, die exactly of COVID-19, but he did contract it and uh, died just a few months later. I, I believe fully that uh, the COVID-19 had something to do with that. And so uh, I have grieved that loss, just along with everybody else who has lost a loved one. Nearly 440,000, according to the numbers that I looked up, looking at these statistics, 440,000 just in our nation alone have died from COVID-19. Could you turn that fan off, please? It has drastically changed the world and how we have lived over the last year. Thankfully, there are some positive developments in recent weeks. The vaccine is now rolling out to more and more people. I just watched the press conference today of our, our governor, Ralph Northam, who announced that over 1.2 million Virginians have already received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. That's very encouraging. He says that the daily infection numbers are going down. Thank God. You know, uh, everybody hates on Big Pharmacy. Well, Big Pharma is the one who developed and researched and uh, has, has uh, distributed and manufactured this vaccine in record time, along with uh, federal government and state governments and local governments all helping along the way. But it's really a monumental effort to get a vaccine so quickly. So we are grateful for all of those developments. I'm not here tonight to tell you that the danger is behind us. I'm not here to declare a premature victory over COVID-19. However, I believe it is time for us to begin considering a transition back toward some sort of normality in life. I want to ask you to help me tonight to, to consider these things. Part of the process that we have to uh, get in our mind is to recognize that during this time of COVID-19, some mentalities, some dangers, 
some pitfalls that we as a culture and especially we as a church have fallen into that we really, really need to uh, be aware of so that we can get back to the church that God wants us to be. Can you say amen? So this is why I chose this scripture tonight uh, in, in, uh, in agreement with what I want to speak about. Romans chapter 8, fantastic chapter, perhaps one of the most beloved chapters in all the Bible. And in this verse we're about to read, this is a marvelous peak of the Apostle Paul's exposition about the love of God, about our place in the plan of God, and we are reminded tonight of who we are supposed to be. So I want you to join with me tonight in the era of COVID to believe God once again to make us who we are supposed to be. That's what this is about tonight. Romans 8, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 8, verse 35. These amazing words. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet, everybody say that word, yet. In all these things, say that with me, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus once again. I'm praying, God, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word, your voice calling to us tonight. God, I pray against the spirit of fear and panic that has been released in our generation. And I'm praying, God, that your church would be a church of courage once again, that, our, that your church in the world today would shine the light of hope in a dark generation. I'm praying, God, you'd give us revival in these last days. God, this open opportunity for the gospel, I pray, help us to step in to your purpose and your will in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people would say, amen. It's a message I've titled, Things More Dangerous Than COVID. And I want to begin by looking at, first of all, what separates us. This is the rhetorical question that Paul begins with in our scripture. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on to list these things that I want to take a look at individually very quickly tonight. And, uh, and the ideas that he's giving us, the concepts of things that could possibly separate us from the love of Christ or from the love of God, or from the will of God. These are things, no doubt, that Paul has seen people separated from the love of Christ. He has seen people fall away from the faith, just as you and I have. He has seen churches fall away from the will of God. He has seen pastors who have fallen away from the faith, who have fallen away from their purpose and their will. And so he begins to list some of these things that cause a lot of problems in life. Are you with me so far? Here's some examples. Tribulation. Now, what I like to do when I'm studying the Word of God, is you have to study the original language. This letter was written in Koinia Greek. And so when you study the Word of God, it is helpful to go back and look at the, the original words that are used in context. So, what are these things? Tribulation. Paul says that tribulation could have the effect of separating us from the love of Christ. What does that mean? Great trouble or suffering. The thought in the original language is the pressing, pressing together, a pressure, right? Some of you know what it's like to feel pressure in life, pressure to pay the bills, pressure of 
of, uh, of living righteously or paying your tithe, the pressure of family and marriage, the pressure uh, of life. How many understand what that means? Tribulation. The early church was very familiar with tribulation, with pressure, the oppression and the affliction, the distress that would come as a result of their declaration of faith in Jesus. See, we don't have that aspect as much in our culture today, but it's not absent from the world. There are places where naming the name of Jesus will put a target on your back in this world. There are places where becoming a Christian is against the law. Many Muslim countries, many, uh, many radical Hindu countries like India, there are laws on the books where it's against the law to become a Christian, to get baptized. In China, it is against the law, a communist, atheistic state, which says if you convert to Christianity, you are in violation. That's called tribulation. Paul goes on to speak about distress. The original word means anguish, a narrowness. The thought in the Greek is a narrow place, a place where there is calamity, where there is a distress or affliction. It gives the thought of what David spoke about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a place of fear where you're boxed in on both sides. We have the phrase in English, between a rock and a hard place. That's what distress. See, and the effect of these things has uh, the, 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 the possibility or the temptation of separating us from Christ. He goes on, speaks about persecution, hostility, ill treatment, especially on the basis of ethnicity, religion, or beliefs. That's what persecution is. He speaks about famine, famine, which usually comes about as a result of, uh, of natural consequences. There's a storm, there's a drought, there's a sickness or illness that breaks out. This causes a scarcity of a harvest. This has the thought of an economic downturn, right? Famine, difficulty, the crops die, the herds die, and then the people start to die. He says nakedness. The thought of this word is shame or embarrassment. You know, we are living in the midst of a cancel culture where you, uh, if you have certain viewpoints online or social media, you can be ostracized and criticized. People who have lost their jobs, their positions, just for having a certain point of view. In America, land of the free, home of the brave, with the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and yet we are in a canceled culture now. This is the idea. Shame and embarrassment to think a certain way, to act a certain way. Peril means the danger of physical violence. And finally, he says, the sword. What was interesting to me as I studied this word is that it doesn't necessarily mean the broad sword that would be carried by a Roman soldier, the sword that is used for offense and defense. Rather, the, the, the idea in the original language is not so much a sword, but a large knife or a short sword, one that is not used in battle, but is used instead for, uh, for uh, cutting the flesh of an animal, like what a butcher would use. It's used for division. A sword that is meant not just to destroy, but to separate things. He says the sword has the possibility of separate. Jesus uses the same word when he says, do not think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And what he's saying is division between uh, uh, where you're going and what you're doing. Different ideas of how to see life, right? There are going to be those you give your life to Christ and people will disagree with you. There will be division. It's the sword of tribalism. The point of all of this tonight is I could make a case to you, everything that I just mentioned is alive and well for Christians today. Every one of these dangers. Every one of these things that, that uh, Paul warns that these, if you're not careful, can bring separation between you and Christ. Every single one of those things Christians are facing today. Think of that. 
You are facing these things. Tribulation. Pressing. How much pressure has been put on the church to stay closed in the last year? Don't you have meetings? Who do you think you are? You're smarter than the government? Distress. No doubt, this, all of these things have caused incredible anguish and stress and fear and even to the point of panic. How about famine? Economic downturns. We've all experienced from, uh, to, to some level of one or another that th this time has caused pressure on the finances. Difficulty in harvest and even some of people who have lost jobs and incomes. Shame and embarrassment, as I mentioned, the, the cancel culture, the danger even of physical violence. We've seen riots in the streets from many people from all different sides. But most of all, I think the great danger of our time is the danger of division and tribalism as our culture is being split down the middle. And it doesn't seem to get any better. The danger of sword. I could argue tonight that everything that Paul mentioned, the things that, that have caused problems in the church, the division, every single one of them is still active. Remember what he said. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now here's, here's the good news. Paul is listing these things as examples of difficulties and painful things that Christians face in life. He's saying, not that these things are easy, far from it. All of these things are very difficult and tragic problems that the church is going to face. But he is very positive in his outlook, isn't he? He is saying, listen, these are some of the worst things that you're going to face as a church, as a Christian, as a body of believers. But can they separate us from God? There's good news in this scripture. I want to talk to you tonight about a truth that I think we, uh, as a church, as a fellowship, that we as a nation and as a culture, that we need to hear. That is about managing risk. You know, living life is risky. Did you know that? Getting out of your bed in the morning is, is a risk. Some of you riskier than others. I read a, a book some time ago by... Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, fantastic book uh, that uh, is about this fact. It's about risk, and uh, I wanted to share the name. It's called Take the Risk by Dr. Ben Carson. Highly recommend. Uh, as you know, Dr. Ben Carson, his, his life story, he came from poverty, grew up in, 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 the, uh, in the projects, single mother, uh, didn't, didn't even know how to read in the third and fourth grade. He was underprivileged and, and poor in poverty until uh, his mother challenged him as a young boy and challenged him to begin reading books. And with that change, he read every book in the school library and he became a brilliant uh, neurosurgeon. Over time, over many years, uh, he became the head of the uh, uh, John, uh, help me out, which hospital is that called? John Hopkins uh, uh, Hospital became the head of neurosurgery and uh, he, he did things that no other surgeon had ever done before, separating conjoined twins. It was, he had an incredible life, uh, has an incredible life, an incredible story. And so he writes this book about life being risky. Now, you think about people who have uh, stress on the job. Like, this guy is right at the top of the list, up there with astronauts and the President of the United States. And there he is holding a knife in front of two twins that are joined at the brain. And his job is to take them apart. It take, took like 18 hours. And there he is, step by step, planning it out for months ahead of time. He's got a whole staff of people supporting. I'm telling you, uh, it's an incredible story. He knows what it's like to take on a risk. In this book, he talks about the difference between risk that is manageable versus risk that is not manageable and knowing the difference between the two and I don't want to read the whole book to you tonight I would encourage you to go find it for yourself but 
I want to tell you that right now there is a, an attitude at work in our culture and in the world today that says risk is unacceptable. The risk of being infected by COVID-19 is worth doing things that are outside of science. There are governments that are telling us to do things that don't make sense. Now, don't please, please don't get me wrong here tonight. I am not saying to walk out of this place and lick every doorknob and be an idiot. You know, uh, no, I'm not saying that. But I am going to tell you tonight that living life comes with risk. Just like in our scripture, living for Jesus is going to have some risk. You know, the moment, if you can remember the moment that you gave your life to Christ, maybe you didn't realize it at the time, but that moment you were painting a big giant target on your chest. You know what that target was? It was a target for hell to come, come after you. Because you and I, we were children of the devil. We were faithful servants of hell, weren't we? And when we got saved, it was like we left the family house and we joined the other team. And all of a sudden, when the devil had no problem with you on your way to hell, now you join God's team and it's a betrayal against the devil. And he'll come after you. And this is what we tell the new converts, isn't it? Don't, don't uh, be careful. I'm telling you, uh, don't, don't, uh, you need to understand that giving your life to Christ, there are certain risks involved. One of them is opening your life to attack from hell. You know, as, as soon as you get saved, you start to try living righteously. You start trying to resist temptation. And guess what? That's dangerous too. There's a risk involved because your whole life before that, you just gave in to temptation. Who cares? If it feels good, do it, right? But then after you get saved, now, now you actually have to try to be righteous. That's difficult. It's risky and it's going to come with uh, difficulties in pain. I read some statistics preparing for this message tonight you know just uh, as i mentioned just waking up is risky business they say that uh, your risk of being injured by a malfunctioning television is one in seven thousand one in seven thousand are going to be injured by their television this year it's a good reason not to have a tv uh twenty-eight thousand people are treated every year for handling or swallowing Money. Got to be careful. <laughs> Your chances of being injured by Christmas decorations. One in 65,000 is injured by the annual decorations. Uh, 12,000 people every year uh, injured by buckets and pails. 3,300 Americans every year injured by room deodorizers. 5,000 people every year sustain injuries while playing pool. That sounds painful. 8,000 Americans are injured every year by playing musical instruments. The, least, the, the most likely month to die is in January. Did you know that? Fun fact. The least likely month to die is September. So now that you have that important information, what are you going to do about it? I have just given you greater uh, assessment of risk in your life. Now you're going to have to walk around the rest of your life being careful around televisions and pool tables because some people get injured and some even die as a result. You know, I was, uh, I was surprised to learn uh, that there are certain medical risks for the government-mandated mask wearing. I was not aware of these things. I, I saw a presentation by a, a, a doctor from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he described, he told a story about his, uh, his executive assistant who works in his office. She has a 25-year-old uh, fiancé who goes to work, and there in Oklahoma there was a mask mandate. And so, of course, his, uh, his place of employment told him that he has to wear a mask while he's working. And so uh, what does he do for work? He, he uses a bucket truck to climb up 
and to do repairs on some light fixtures that are way up in the air. And so there he is doing his job like he always does, except he's got a mask on his face. And up in the air, he, he, uh, he's breathing heavy, and he is asphyxiated, and his oxygen level goes down. He falls out of the bucket 30 feet. He breaks bones. He gets multiple lacerations and spends weeks in the hospital. And so the doctor was making this case that uh, it's not a case against masks, per se. It's a case against mandates, government-mandated mask wearing. He makes the point that, uh, that, that when doctors and when nurses are using masks in the hospital, they are putting on a new mask every time they wear one. But most people are not doing that. The mask that you are wearing right now probably came out of your pocket or came off of a kitchen counter or came uh, from, the, from the floorboards of your vehicle. And what happens is when someone is using a mask in that way, there is a real threat for bacterial infections in your lungs. And the reason why the medical, uh, 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 the, the medical co uh, complex or industry, why up until now they have not recommended a mask mandate for general public is because of this reason, because most people are not going to use the mask correctly. He said it was not worth the risk for most people since it does not prove to be that much better than simple hand washing and social distancing and self-quarantine when you have symptoms of sickness. So don't please, don't misinterpret what I'm saying tonight. I'm not, if you're wearing a mask, I don't hate you. I love you all. Uh, and I'm not against mask wearing. But I think that some, for some people, not for all people, for some people, the mask has become a lucky rabbit's foot. I only wear it to make other people feel better or to make myself feel better. Now, for some who are in high-risk categories, please, by all means, <laughs> This is not against masks. This is against the mandates. And for some, the numbers have proven that countries and states that have mandated the masks have actually had greater numbers of infection. Did you know that? Florida has never mandated a mask versus California. Guess where the numbers are worse? Consistently, California. With similar, similar numbers of people, however, Florida being a state of many more old people and people and people at risk. And so I'm saying all of that to say this. The goal of your life is not to remove all risk. It shouldn't be that. You can't do that even if you try. You cannot remove risk from life. Teddy Roosevelt, famous quote, he said, Far better is it to dare mighty things than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much. There are two mistakes that people make. The first mistake are people who are so afraid to take any risk that they never actually manage to do anything of true significance. I fear that we are becoming that person in our culture. The second mistake that people make are individuals who take all the wrong risks and tragically end up hurting or destroying themselves or others in the process. This is falling off the horse on the other side. is taking foolish risks. And those are both mistakes. Somewhere in the middle of those two mistakes is a life well lived, is the life that Christ has for us, the life of more than a conqueror tonight. So I want to share with you some things that I believe that can bring separation between, uh, between where we are and where God wants us to be. A couple of things that I believe more dangerous than COVID. So <laughs> I'm going to repeat it again so that you know that I'm, I'm, I am taking COVID seriously. It is a serious virus. And if you are at risk, especially if you're 50 years old or above, or you have pre-existing conditions, you really uh, need to take this seriously. And uh, we need to be respectful of everyone in those situations. If you are not in that age group, or if you do not have pre-existing conditions, I, I did the research myself today and made sure that I was saying the correct things. If you are under the age of 45, 
you have a 2.5 times greater risk of dying just by getting in your car than you do of dying of COVID-19. Let me just repeat that again. When you get in your car to drive, you are at 2.5 times greater risk of dying than of contracting COVID-19 and dying. Did I say that COVID-19 is not serious? I just want you to make sure I <laughs> make sure that, that I'm covering my bases here. It is still serious. There is still things that we need to do. The fight is not over yet. But for many people, we cannot allow fear to paralyze us. I did the stats. If you are under the age of 45 and in generally good health, you are 1.5 times greater risk of having a surprise heart attack than of having a death of COVID-19. Children under the age of 14, by and large, are not dying from COVID-19. Could, could you take a second to imagine with me? I, I, I did the numbers. I, I looked at all of them today, just out of curiosity. How many children between the ages of zero and 14 that have died from COVID-19? Would it surprise you that out of 9,000, 245 deaths in that age bracket, that's the total number of deaths, only 92 were from COVID-19. Why have we closed all the schools for a year? That means 0.009% of those deaths were caused by COVID-19. So I'm not saying that COVID is not serious. It is serious. And it's a pandemic we need to be careful about. But here are three things tonight that I think are even more serious. Things that have the possibility of keeping us from accomplishing the will of God. Number one is isolation. Isolation, because of the pandemic, has caused more problems than the, than the, the disease itself. I have been to the, uh, to the retirement community down there in Norfolk where one of my customers, she had, um, she had symptoms of, a, of an illness. She had a high fever for a few days. And do you know what they made her do? She had her own apartment where she lived with her husband. But for three weeks, they took her out of her apartment against her will. They did not give her an option. And they had a suite on the bottom floor where she had to live for three weeks with no contact. They passed the food to her under the door like she was in prison i went to to their house which was up on the top floor of this uh this building in norfolk and i i helped the husband with some computer problems that they were having and he said you're never going to believe what happened the last two and a half weeks my wife she had a couple of symptoms so they put her in this room they have not let her out two and a half weeks as i was leaving the building after i got done i was walking back to my car and i happened to look up and there she was on the first street, behind glass. And I recognized her. And when she saw me, it was like she saw a person for the first time. I felt so sorry for her. I called her immediately. Thankfully, she had her phone with her. I called her and I said, Oh, Bonnie, are you okay? She says, Yes, I'm fine. I feel fine. Now, but she the loneliness, the isolation... Human beings were not made to, to endure things like this. That is multiplied by millions and millions. I, I am, uh, my heart is broken for how many people who have died alone in the hospital because their friends and family, their 20-year-old grandson or gr granddaughter who is at almost zero risk could not come to visit, couldn't hold the hand of grandma or grandpa as they are passing into eternity. Doesn't your heart break? Isolation. I read a story of an Illinois mother who is suing the state of Illinois because her teenage son killed himself during the coronavirus pandem pandemic. She said, my son died because of COVID isolation. His name, Trevor Till, he was hoping to go to state championships for pole vaulting in his senior year of high school, but couldn't because of coronavirus restrictions. He committed suicide 
in October. Moore said that she believes 100% that the lockdown changed Trevor from who he was to the person that did this. She joined with the parents of three other student athletes who are suing the governor over his decision to cancel the winter high school sports season, claiming their children suffered severe emotional and physical harm because of the restrictions. Listen to her words. She said, the final blow was when winter sports were canceled. Trevor committed suicide on October 21st, 2020, an approximate cause of which was Governor Pritzker's restrictions on high school sports programs. He truly enjoyed being at school, Moore said of her son. That's where his heart and soul was. He was an awesome brother. He was an awesome son. He was my person, she added as she became emotional. I miss him so much. That is also a COVID-19 death that doesn't show up in the statistics. Isolation causes separation. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said it is not good that men should be alone. Ecclesiastes 4.10, woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. What about us tonight? The problem with the COVID-19 lockdowns and the mentality that it has created in us is that we don't want to be with each other. We don't even shake each other's hands anymore. The mask, just like in Muslim countries, why do they wear the burqas? Because the, the husbands don't want their wives to be having relationship. It's a, it's a jealousy. It's a fear. It's a control tactic. And that mask, many times, it is a real impediment. Listen, you're not talking to people at the store like you used to. Have you noticed it? If you've been on outreach, it's very difficult to start a conversation when two people are wearing masks. Not saying it's the end of the world. Obviously, wearing a mask is not that big of a deal. But there are consequences, aren't there? It brings an isolation and a separation between people. The second thing I'm concerned about is the centralized power grab of government and authorities. The federal, state, and local governments have all gained massive new powers, and they are not letting go. Governors and mayors and leaders have all experienced the thrush of flexing their muscles, forcing constituents to doing things and businesses to close. How about this? And a weird idea that in America we should have some individual liberty. Yes, a government exists to give us guidance, to help us in times of need, to, uh, to provide oversight and even to step in during extreme circumstances, yes, I believe all those things, but should be used sparingly and with great accountability. I'll tell you this story. Just uh, last week, when I went to go pick up Pastor Birch from the, uh, uh, from the airport, and we spent a day in Washington, D.C., I wanted to be able to uh, let them see the monuments and all of the things there in D.C. Those are, you know, they, they haven't been to Washington before, and East Coast, and little opportunity to, to have a day before they go overseas and enjoy some time together. So we got an Airbnb together, and, uh, and uh, we were staying the night there. They were tired from traveling. So uh, about 8 o'clock uh, that evening on Thursday night last week, we, uh, he decided he wanted to go to Walmart. So I don't know if you know this, but in Washington, D.C., there is a government lockdown, crackdown mandate that if you are outside of your house, you must wear a mask. We're driving down the road. We're seeing people walking their dogs with a mask on. Nobody else around. People jogging down the street with a mask on. This is the, the mayor of D.C. has locked the entire city down that you cannot step outside without a mask on wherever you go. So we're going out to Walmart. <laughs> we, we get to the place, and uh, you know he realizes, oh, I left my mask. We've all done that, right? Left my mask at home. Whoops. He says, okay, no problem. I'm, I'm sure that they've got one that I can wear, you know. So we park the vehicle. We, uh, we, we go to the entrance of the Walmart. He doesn't even fully step in the front door. There is a woman at a, at a little podium right next to the front door. She begins screaming, sir, sir, where's your mask? Sir, get your mask. Where's your mask? Because I was about to ask you for one. You don't need to shout. I know I don't have one. Would you please give me one? But it was as if he had broken the laws of morality. 
there was a hundred people. Every eye turned to Pastor Ryan Birch, and he's like, I'm sorry. I guess I'll go home now. You know, he lives in Arizona. No mask mandate there. He's not used to having to wear it everywhere. He's from out of town. Cut him a little slack. Give him a mask. You don't need to shout like a, like a mask Nazi. But this is what it has produced, isn't it? The last thing I'm concerned about as we close is a church that would be paralyzed by fear. In this last year, this difficult times, maybe you've heard, even churches in our local community, churches that have shut down, that are, they are not coming back online. They may still have some form of online expression, but they have not opened up. They are not having services. They're asking people to stay home. A church which is paralyzed by fear. Paul is, is speaking in this letter to a church that could have experienced a paralyzing fear. But let me ask you this tonight. What if the church in Rome would have given in to their fear? What if they had given in to all of these things that they were facing? What if they had allowed the distress and the tribulation and the persecution and the famine and nakedness and peril and sword? Those are all things that could paralyze a believer because of fear. What if they would have been paralyzed, stuck? They would never have accomplished the will of God. Are you paralyzed tonight? Are we as a church, are we going to be paralyzed by the risk that exists in our world today? Let me just remind you a few things. We're going to close. If we would be paralyzed by fear, we would never go on outreach. We would never win the lost. We would never make disciples. We would never plant churches, that's for sure. We would never give a tithe, because that's scary sometimes. If we were allowed our fear to paralyze us, we would never send missionaries. We would never make sacrifices for the Lord. If we operated in fear, if we operated uh, by calculating our risks and counting our beans and making sure everything was in place, we would never go to conference. We would never go to, to men's discipleships. We would never get married. We would never make babies. We would never uh, do things that involve risk. I'm telling you, you cannot have a life without risk. You cannot have a church without risk. You cannot do the will of God without risk. Without risk, Abraham would still be Abram. Without risk, Moses would still be a shepherd. And without risk, Jesus would not have died on the cross. Are you still willing to risk? This is a generation, this is a culture, this is a time that is saying it's not worth it. Stay in your house, lock down, wear a mask, be good little sheep. But Paul said, in these things, in all these things, in. He didn't say that we're going to escape them. He said, in all of these things, what? More than conquerors overwhelming victory through Him who loved us. God never promised you that you'd have a life free from risk. Living life means risk. Living for God means risk. But here's the good news. We serve a God who can give us overwhelming victory. Overwhelming victory. More than conquerors. This, in, in that world, they knew what a conqueror was. Right? There was Alexander the Great, one of the greatest conquerors of all time. He was in that region. He conquered more of the known world than anyone else had ever conquered. That was a conqueror. He would come in. He would overwhelm the defenses. He would take over a city. He would loot all of the things that, that, that mattered and that had value. And he would say, now this is my territory, Greek territory. And Paul says, through Christ, we're better than that. <laughs> we are not killing and looting like pirates. 
But we can conquer all of these things. We can conquer fear. We can conquer division and strife. We can conquer over the difficulties of life. Because why? Paul says, I am persuaded. I love this verse. Verse 38. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, COVID-19, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what about us? In a world, in a culture, in a time, in an hour where fear and panic is paralyzing so many. What are you persuaded of? For most people in our world today, they are persuaded that COVID-19 is the worst thing that has ever happened to the, to, to the human species. And it has had dire consequences. Please don't get me wrong. I don't want to minimize it. I've felt the pain of grief in my own family. But I am persuaded that even in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Even with the risk that life presents to us, we serve a God of overwhelming victory. And I believe that God wants you and God wants me to experience that victory. We sang it tonight. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And I wonder how much of this is a, is a culture that is, that is uh, so separating from our Christian foundations that now the worst thing that could happen to us is death. You know what? For us Christians, the worst thing is not death. I'm not hoping that anybody dies here. But I'm saying that even if I did die, I'm going home. We have confidence with that, that even if the persecution and the division and the embarrassment and the shame, even if that has a deadly effect on me. You know what? I still got the victory. Because we serve a resurrected Savior. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Let us not be paralyzed with fear. Let us not take unnecessary risks, but let us also step into the will of God even when it requires risk. I pray that God would use this to speak to you tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we allow God to speak to us. I believe there's a challenge in front of us tonight. It is easy to give in to fear. That's why, again and again, the Word of God has this powerful statement repeated to us over and over and over. What is that phrase? Do not fear. We are people of fear. We're a culture of fear. And it's right to fear many things in life. But one fear which should overtake the rest is the fear of God. Because when you fear God and Him alone, then you will fear nothing else. <laughs> the fear of God produces faith, confidence, boldness, courage. The fear of God produces an, a, an assurance what Paul said, I am persuaded. He said, I know with full confidence who my God is and who I serve. Therefore, I don't have to be afraid of all these things that life presents to me. I am persuaded. Are you persuaded tonight? Are you persuaded that God's word is true? That the blood of Jesus washes us clean? That the will of God is the most important thing in your life? Tonight, before we do anything else, I wonder, are you right with God? Are you living? Are you living in relationship with the God who saved you? The one that Paul spoke about, the Savior who shed His blood for us, that when we are in faith, nothing can separate us from His love. Do you have that confidence? Are you persuaded tonight? Because if you're not, you can be. You're here tonight and maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you're wandering. Maybe like the prodigal son, you've left the father's house. You've let fear overwhelm you and overtake you. It's time to come back home to the father's house. He has salvation for you, forgiveness. If that's you, I want to pray with you tonight. 
You need salvation. Let me see your hand. Is there someone here, unsaved or backslidden in your heart? Anyone at all? Quickly, believing God to help you. Believing God. Let me speak to the church. I see there are church, entire churches, entire communities of believers who have given in to the spirit of the age. And what the devil couldn't do with a full frontal attack, he was able to do with the simple threat of a virus. Who would have thought? You know, it, we, we thought back in the 80s and 90s, we thought the Antichrist would come stamp a mark on our forehead and say, you can't go to church. Well, it turns out, we didn't even need the Antichrist. All we needed was a paralyzing fear to cause the church to cower, to run and hide. Many churches, many Christians still very difficult to recover from this. Let it not be true here. We need to have a bold and courageous faith. I am not instructing anyone here to take unnecessary risks. I am not instructing anyone here to go against the advice of your doctor. Please listen to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. What I am encouraging everyone here to do is to step into the will of God, which we know is going to require risks, danger, perils, persecution, tribulation. That's what faith does. Faith says, I see the dangers, but I'm trusting God. Faith, like Pastor Ryan and his wife April, faith says, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but we're going to go anyway. Faith says, there's all of these restrictions in place. We don't have the right visa. I can't get the right job, but we're going to try as hard as we can. Faith says, when the bills are due and there's not enough money, faith says, I'm still going to pay my tithe. Faith says, I'm going to do what's right, even when it's scary. And I want to encourage you in that tonight, to have bold and courageous faith. The persuasion that the Apostle Paul had, I am persuaded that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. What about you tonight? We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to open this altar for prayer. There is overwhelming victory available here at this altar. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.